All right, well, uh, today we're going to be looking at the name of the Lord, and we're going to be focusing on a passage in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 through 15. But first, what's in a name? Do you have a good name? You know, some people say, oh, that person, you can't trust them, their name is Mud. (laughs) Or he has a good name, you can respect and trust him. Well, there's a lot to do with our names. I mean, you say, well, my name is so-and-so. What's there to do with my name? You can have a good name, and people can know your name, who you are. It's an identifier, right? Um, Have you heard the name of George Whitfield? Anybody familiar with that name? A few are, not not everyone. But you know what? Uh, The name George Whitfield, back in the early 1700s, in the period of the Great Awakening, that name was as popular and famous as the name of Elvis is today. Everybody, every household knew who George Whitfield was. He was a revivalist from England. Um, he came along with John Wesley. I'm sure you know that name. And they went through the colonies in early America, burning up the colonies with revival fire. It was called the Great Awakening. People were getting saved and brought to the Lord. And the, it was just a, a magnificent time in the country spiritually. And then later on, there was a second Great Awakening in the 1800s, and today we're looking for the next Great Awakening. We need a Great Awakening, right? And it's because people don't fear God's name. They don't don't respect God's name. But the name of George Whitfield, he was something else. If you're not familiar with him, he was very eloquent as a speaker, and he was very dramatic as a speaker, and he could command an audience. I mean, he would... They said there were reports that he could just utter the word, oh, and you would melt. <laughs> and I know you experience that every week here, right? No. Um, but anyone can have a bad day, and even George Whitfield could have a bad day. And there's a story, and you know, usually Whitfield and Wesley were preaching outdoors because the mainstream church wouldn't have them inside. You know, that's what happens. You know, the religious in the church, they they start to get nervous when someone comes along and there's fire and there's life and things like that. But they were actually inside a church one day. It was raining and George Whitfield was preaching. He wasn't on his game. And it was reported somebody thought, well, this man's no great wonder after all. And then uh, as Whitfield was preaching, he knows somebody in the front row was starting to nod off, resting their head on their their hands on their lap, and and when he saw this, all of a sudden, everything changed. He raised his voice, and he said, Hey, if I had come in my own name, it'd be okay for you to start to nod off, and every once in a while, lift up your head and say, What is this babbler talking about? But I have not come in my own name. I have come in the name of the Lord of hosts, and I must and will be heard. And he thundered, and he shook the place. He stomped, and I was hoping this pulpit would echo in here, but it didn't. It's too good a wood. I wanted some effect, but he got effect. The whole place rang out, and after that, he was back on his game, and there wasn't a sleepy person in the church. But he commanded their attention, not under his own name, but it was because he called on the name of the Lord. He said, I come in the name of the Lord. And the same is true for you and me. We have authority when we live in the name of the Lord, when we speak in the name of the Lord, and we see it as such. We're not just speaking on our own behalf. A lot of people think, well, yeah, you love 
Jesus, that's good for you. you know, and they think you want them to come to Christ because you like it. That's not it at all. We want people to come to Christ because we are representing the name of the Lord. We are coming in his place and we're saying be reconciled to God. And we have authority when we come in that name. Not in our own. It's not because I just want you to join me and do what I like and believe what I like. It's, it's, this is the truth. This is the authority. This is who we have above us. It's in the name. So in Exodus 3, Moses was hoping to get somewhere uh, with the Israelites. God was calling him to deliver the Israelites, and he asked the question in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. He said, When I come unto the children of Israel, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? So he was looking for this authority that I, I just talked about Whitfield. He commanded his audience. He wanted Moses wanted to get some respect and attention from Israel, but he had to have the name behind him. So he's asking the Lord, what is the name that I should tell them? And uh, when he got that name, he understood there's authority. Like I said, there's authority in the name, but a name is also an identifier. And the Lord answered Moses in verse 14, said, I am that I am. And he said, thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. Okay, now did you get that? What is, what is your name, Lord? And he said what? I am that I am. Have you all ever, you kids, you, what do you think of a name like I am? That'd be kind of crazy, right? You hear, what's your name? Oh, I am. Well, that's what the Lord was saying. So a strange name, isn't it? But we're going to look and see how the name I am that I am would be a great revelation to Israel and it would be a great encouragement to Israel. How so? Well, let's continue on. First of all, at a very basic level, I am reveals something of who God is. God is. He's present. He's not I was. And the problem today in many churches around this country and around the globe, a lot of people commemorate the I was. God used to work this way in the past. Or we can't expect him to do anything today. He did all that in the past. The canon's closed and there's, there's no more extraordinary things. We just got to hold on till Jesus comes. He's not I was. He is I am. And the, the thing about that being I am, he's present. Last week we brought up that he's a helper. He's a very present help in times of trouble. Psalm 46.1. I am means he's here today, he's present, it's not just I was, it's not just something that we commemorate and we celebrate the history of our faith. We have to learn to bring God back into our present and say he's very present with me, even like last week, the Lord is my helper and he is present now. And as one who is present, he is also unchanging. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. So that means he is the same God who delivered the Israelites from Pharaoh. And he's the same God that can deliver us from sin and from temptation and from fears and anxiety, depression, heartaches, loneliness, sickness. He can do all that. He is, I am, he's present and he doesn't change. So we can expect great things from God. William Carey, the great missionary said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. No one wants to attempt anything for God if they don't expect great things from God. 
So what are we expecting in church here? I'm expecting great things. You know, it takes some time, and sometimes you don't see what you want to see right away. But it comes, because God is still here. He's present. He's not I was. And in, along with that, he is eternal. So he's not, he didn't say, I am for now. I am for now. He's, un, he's eternal. And so Psalm 90, verse 2 says, From everlasting to everlasting, you are Lord. From everlasting to everlasting. God said in Jeremiah 31.3, I believe it is, it says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. So he is present with everlasting. He never changes. And if he never changes, that means his word never changes. His mercies endure forever. His mercy is ever, his loving kindness is everlasting. So we can expect the God who is present with us to have ever-present mercy with us. Have you messed up? Have you done something you're ashamed of? His mercy endures forever. Come back to him. He's present. You don't have to wait for him. He's not the I, I, I was. I was going to say he's not the I will be, but he is the I will be. He's I am, and that Hebrew in that passage also translates as I will be what I will be. So it's a present and it's ongoing. It's eternal from everlasting to everlasting. But let's consider I will be what I will be. It means he's independent. Well, what does that mean? Have you ever heard somebody, you know, this is a land of science in Oak Ridge, and, you know, there will be a lot of intellectual questions and challenges if you try to talk to someone about the Lord. And I don't know, maybe some of you have heard this, this objection. Well, if God created everything, who created God? Yeah, that's an old question. And, it, and the question, really, it just misses the point. God is not an effect. God is the cause of everything. He created everything. Out of nothing, he created everything. And he is not an effect that needed to be created. He is what we call self-existent. Self-existent. I can't fathom it. You can't fathom it. I don't understand it, but that's what makes him God. Who wants a God we can understand and and know everything clearly about, we'd be right on the level with him as far as our knowledge goes. He wouldn't be that great. Well, he would be great, but he's always great. That's who he is. But what I'm saying is there are things we don't understand about him, and one of the things I don't understand but I accept and acknowledge is that he's self-existent. He was and always is, and he will be what he will be. I am that I am. I will be what I will be. And this is incredibly encouraging because the Israelites... We're in a land that had a multitude of lowercase g gods, little deities. And these things were bound to time, space, and locality. That You know, you had the god of the sun, the moon god, god of the Nile, god of the soil. I don't know, there were god of the frogs and things. I think if you go through Exodus, all the judgments, they're kind of answering the god of that, that situation. But all these gods, these little g gods, are limited. They're not independent. They're bound to their places. The moon god is bound to the moon. But God says, I will be what I will be. There's nobody going to dictate to me or bind me to be something. I'm the one. I'm the top of the chain. And that's who God is. He is not bound by anything, and he's not bound by our circumstances, by our problems, and by... Anything we we can come up with, sometimes we say we want God to be this way, but God is going to be what he will be. He is the top decision maker, the top authority, and that's the authority we have to go into. This is, you know, we go uh, in the authority of a present God and a God who 
will not be dictated to who is the highest on the deck of authority. We used to call that the big potato in China, dealing with a principal at school or something. He was the top of the line, the decision maker. We'd say, you're the big cheese, the big potato. And, uh, you know, I just always said, I'm the small French fry. <laughs> but God is the top. He is independent. And um, along with that, let's really get into I am that I am right now, because uh, this is where God gets personal. You think, what a strange name. I am that I am. I will be what I will be. What, what, how is that going to encourage them? But it actually was a personal advance of God, to be more personal with his people. When you see the capital letters Lord in the Bible, you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, Sometimes uh, all through the Old Testament, it says the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord this, the Lord that, and it's in capital letters, L-O-R-D. When it's in capital letters, it is Uh, what we call the tetragrammaton. Now I'm going to get a little scholarly with some. Tetragrammaton. It is a a name for the Hebrew configuration behind those capital letters. So the Hebrew does not say Lord. That's the English translation. And they put it in capital letters so you know that this is a special word here. The actual uh, letters in Hebrew are yod Hey vav Hey. And there are debates about how to say it. Um, because in ancient Hebrew, they had no vowel markings. They had consonants. So the Hebrew alphabet is full of consonants, but there are no vowel markings on it. So you'd really have to rely on context to understand the Hebrew. But yod he vav he has no vowel consonant, vowels, it's their consonants. And so some people came up with Jehovah. It, it's, it's actually Jehovah. But probably a better one is Yahweh. So you've probably heard both of those. I go with Yahweh. I think uh, that is probably what it is. So yod heh vav is Yahweh or Jehovah. But the point is the Tetragrammaton is a mystery in that sense. And maybe the Lord purposely allowed it to be a mystery because it's I will be what I will be. There is a progressive revelation of God to his people throughout the book. And uh, when you see that that he is called different things along with the tetragrammaton, the the yod-heh-vav-heh. Are you with me still? Okay, am I losing anybody? Okay, all right. So uh, throughout scripture you have that word, the tetragrammaton, mixed with other Hebrew that identifies who the Lord is, and he reveals himself in progression. So some of the names of the Lord revealed are Yahweh Rapha, the Lord that heals, Yahweh Shema, the Lord is there, Yahweh Mekadishkam, the Lord who sanctifies you, Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is peace, Yahweh Yireh, the Lord will provide, Yahweh Nisi, the Lord my banner. Yahweh Rohi, the Lord my shepherd. And Yahweh Tzidkanu, the Lord our righteousness. And there may be some more, but the point is, all of these things, I will be what I will, I will be your peace. I will be your righteousness. I will be your healer. I will be your, your uh, banner. 
I will be what I will be. And here is who he's revealing himself to be all throughout Scripture. And I believe that that's part of the relationship that he wants to have with us. All of our relationships that we have are progressive. We, if we learned everything about our spouse or our kids or our parents, if we learned everything, there'd be nothing more to progress with and the relationship would be static. But as we grow, we change. So we learn more about ourselves and we learn more about who, who's in our family, our friends and who we work with. Relationships for them to be good is you're continually growing in the knowledge of the other person. And I believe God has it designed that way. He wants to be continually sought out. There's a progression. And there's a, as we grow, we discover more of who he is. And we discover the depths of who he is. And as we get that, we have more authority in his name as we live and serve and speak in that name. So the Tetragrammaton, this is something that's very interesting about the Jewish tradition. They've messed it up because... Uh, this tetragrammaton is actually a familiar form of Hebrew. It's like uh, my name is actually Richard. That's my formal name. But I say, call me Rick. I go by Rick. That's a more familiar form of Richard. And what else we got? We got Robert. You can have Bob. William. You can have Bill. And so on. You know how it goes. So the Hebrew here for I am that I am is actually a familiar form of Hebrew. So the Lord is getting familiar with his people and saying, you can be familiar with me, call me this, call me, you know, Yahweh. So that's, so the, the prayers and the Psalms, Yahweh is, you know, they call him by name. And this is different because you wouldn't have the Egyptians being personal, being called by name or calling the names of the gods. They might reference them by their names, but it's not a personal thing in which they're reaching out to be more in relationship with you, more familiar with you. So God is a personal God. He wants to He wants to be a part of our lives in a way that we're not afraid and that we can know him even on familiar terms. It doesn't mean you don't have reverence and respect, but you come boldly to the throne of grace. And even before Jesus died and purchased us, he was trying to reach out to his people and saying, be a little more familiar with me. In fact, in... Um, Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 to 3. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, capital letters, I was not known to them. So, yeah, you can see it on the screen there. Right? Does it show the... Yeah, well, no, on that screen, it's, it's not the way it is in the Bible. It, it doesn't have the capital letters. But the Lord is in capital letters in your Bible. And he said, by that name, I was not known by Abraham and by Isaac and Jacob. So Moses was getting something that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't have. And God was very active in their lives. Moses was getting something. He's saying, uh, they only knew me by God Almighty. They didn't know me by by this name. And so the same goes as, as he says, I will be what I will be. There is a progression throughout Scripture. And then it comes past the Old Testament into the New. What happens then? I will be what I will be. And then he be comes. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John 1.14 the ultimate expression of God, the Word, 
which was in the beginning, which was God, became flesh and dwelt among us. The ultimate expression of who God is, is in Jesus. And in Jesus, we learn uh, through Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says that Jesus is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. And one of the commentators says he's the exact reproduction. In Colossians 1.15, Paul wrote that Jesus is the image of the invisible God and he's the express representation, the image of the invisible God. Jesus is who God will be. And he, he doesn't stop with that. He comes as a most familiar one. He comes to become man among us so that we could know him even more personally. So Moses had something before, before uh, better than Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. We have something better than Moses because we have the word became flesh, Jesus, and the exact representation, the express image of God. And that is an exciting thing. That's how personal God wants to get. Now, I was telling you, the Jewish tradition, the Jewish tradition substituted Yahweh with Adonai. Adonai means Lord. That's why you have that English word Lord in capital letters in the Old Testament. They, they did it for a good reason. They were trying to give reverence and respect to God. They wanted to fear him and to say he is higher than us. And so they said, we cannot even pronounce this name, Yahweh. So they would, they would be very upset hearing me say Yahweh out loud. So they changed it, and we just carried the tradition on. We read it, Adonai. In Hebrew, if you're reading the Hebrew, it says yod heh vav but they read it, whenever they read it, they say Adonai. And Adonai is where we get the word Lord. And actually, there's some strange tradition from Adonai. It, it traces back to Egyptian gods, uh, which, which is very strange. But the point is, they wanted to show reverence. They said, the name is too high and holy. And we want to show reverence. God is high and holy. But that's the beauty of the gospel, that he came from high and holy, and he dwells with the lowly and the humble. And he doesn't want us to be totally where we cannot say the name. He wanted to give us the name to be familiar. And he went beyond giving us a familiar name. He gave us his son. And he gave us his son in such a way that it shook the religious community of the day. It shook the Pharisees, the Sadducees. It shook Jerusalem. And they couldn't handle it because it shook their religious traditions. And meanwhile... The disciples were growing closer to the Lord and they were, they were free with Jesus and they had more boldness and authority after he rose from the dead and accomplished more than any of the traditionalists ever did afterwards. And that's the same God, the same one. He is present. He is, Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our healer. Jesus is our shalom, our peace. Jesus is our banner. All of these things. You'll notice in the New Testament, the Lord is never capitalized like the old, unless it's quoting something from the Old Testament. What happened? The word became flesh, and it was the ultimate expression. And he didn't just stop there. He became, in the manner of the Holy Spirit, an indweller in us. He changed our very nature. When you receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in, and he becomes everything to you, and he changes you from the inside out. He changes you through his word. He changes you through the revelation of the name. 
And so he keeps going. So the question I want to leave you with today is, do you know him? Have you received Jesus as the ultimate expression of who God is? Because if you haven't received Jesus, you may have a love for God, you may have a reverence for God, but you can't come in the authority, you can't claim the blessings, you can't get the salvation. For Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no other, neither is there any other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. There is only one way to God, and that's through the name. That's through the Son, through Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him, you need him. And maybe you, you know him, but you don't know him because he's the I was. He is present. You have to start believing that he's with you and that he's personal with you. Let him be what he will be in your life. Some people don't want to let him be what he will be. But if you take a step of faith, if you say, be what you will be, and I will follow, you will be surprised, and you will be sanctified, and you will become a lover of the Lord and a, and a go-getter for the gospel because you'll be touched so much by the goodness that is God. And God is a relational God. He wants to have a more personal relationship with all of us. And many times this week as I'm preparing this message and thinking about it, I have to say to myself, is he present right now? Am I, am I considering him present? Am I allowing him to be who he, he is? Am I, am I receiving all that's in the name of Jesus? And sometimes you have to stop and regroup yourself and receive that and, and get your bearings back in faith. It, this world is an anti-faith world. This world is trying to pull us away from these things, these spiritual realities and this walk with an invisible God. And because we can't see him, the world attacks our faith. If we could see him and everything was great all the time, you know, there wouldn't be any challenge. There wouldn't be any faith to it because everything's going wonderful. But it's the faith that builds us up, strengthens us. It's preparing us for our kingdom reign. And it even brings the kingdom in now if we allow God to be who he will be in our lives and believe that he is and he's there. In Hebrews 11:6, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So, do you know him? Are you coming to the Lord through Jesus Christ? Have you allowed him to be who he will be? The Pharisees didn't allow him to be who he will be. And they crucified him. Will you allow him? Or will you pay attention to what the world is saying? What the world is doing? And going down that path? Time is short, folks. This is a time we have to get back into the power of God in the name of Jesus. And be bold and steadfast and persevering as we wait for his spirit to empower and quicken and to do the things that he's always done. He's doing them spiritually, but we need to get in line with what he's doing so that he can start to move and manifest through us. And the only way I know to do that is to stay steadfast, keep him before you, and to trust in his name. Trust in him with me, and we'll see great things in the days ahead. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.